Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, we focus on the interrelationship between caregiving and environmental protection. Family unwaged caregivers, most of whom are women, include mothers and grandmothers, and they, by the way, include the most impoverished women on welfare. They provide care for relatives, children, the elderly, and people with disabilities. Caregivers are expected to pick up the slack without any acknowledgement of the value or resources for their work. And when caregivers work outside the home as home care workers, their wage levels remain low. Why? Because, well, this is work that is expected to be done for free. The International Labor Office has estimated that women do two-thirds of the world's work for 5% of the world's income. And according to a report released by Oxfam in January 2020, women around the world perform 12.5 billion hours of unpaid work every day. Overall, the work of unwaged caregivers has been estimated to contribute at least $11 trillion to the global economy, this according to a human development report. But meanwhile, indigenous peoples who are protecting the forests and natural farmers around the world are uh, showing the way amid the ongoing crisis. Many of them are unwaged caregivers. Indeed, a lot of the work done on the land, unpaid work done on the land in Latin America as well as on the continent of Africa are done by women without wages. They are providing both food for people and taking care of the environment. They point out that in order to address the main cause of the climate crisis, we must transform our relationship with the natural world. We have to stop emissions, keep the oil in the soil, and stop poisoning the land with pesticides and work to regenerate the soil. The interaction of soil, water, and sun generates the water cycle on which the climate and all life depend. This forms part of the broader soil regeneration movement, which, in addition to ending the use of fossil fuels, can help to reverse climate change by rebuilding organic matter and restoring degraded soil biodiversity. This can help with carbon drawdown and improve the water cycle. Imagine a world where caregivers would be compensated for working to mitigate the damage done to our planet instead of money going to governments and uh, huge uh, agro uh, farms and, and corporations. Today, during today's show, we bring you audio from a recent webinar hosted by the Global Women's Strike entitled care income for people and the planet. The webinar speakers help us better understand the interconnections between the movement and the rights of unwaged workers and the need to protect our environment. And it was given uh, during the recent COP26 conference that was held in Glasgow, Scotland. We hear from speakers around the world who comment on the need to unite across movements. 
we live in a global world, we're all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. Hours after the House censured Arizona Republican Paul Gosar for his animated video depicting him slashing the neck of New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Gosar retweeted it. Gosar said he was censured for challenging Democrats, quote, America last agenda. In her remarks, Ocasio-Cortez singled out House Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for not condemning Gosar. It is sad. It is a sad day in which a member who leads a political party in the United States of America cannot bring themselves to say that issuing a depiction of murdering a member of Congress is wrong. What is so hard about saying that this is wrong? This is not about me. This is not about Representative Gosar. But this is about what we are willing to accept. McCarthy called the censure an abuse of power by Democrats to distract from national problems. The only Republicans to join Democrats in the 223 to 207 censure vote were Lynn Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Republican David Joyce of Ohio voted present. The censure vote also removed Gosar from two congressional committees, on one of which Ocasio-Cortez also serves. The Senate could begin debate today on a whopping $778 billion military policy bill after it cleared a procedural hurdle yesterday. The vote was 84 to 15. Independent Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders contrasted the overwhelming bipartisan support for the massive military bill to the opposition in some quarters to spending on expanded Medicare or paying for family leave, community college, or climate programs. Now, isn't it remarkable how even as we end the longest war in our nation's history, the war in Afghanistan, concerns about the deficit and the national debt seem to melt away under the influence of the military-industrial complex. The $778 billion military policy bill is $37 billion more than former President Trump's last defense bill and $25 billion more than President Biden and the Pentagon had even requested. The man who fatally shot Ahmad Arbery has testified he fired the shotgun in self-defense. Travis McMichael said he made a split-second life-or-death decision when Arbery grabbed his gun and tried to take it away. He said Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, looked angry. Travis, his father, and a neighbor armed themselves and pursued Arbery in their trucks after they saw him jogging down the road. They said they thought he might be the person responsible for neighborhood break-ins. Prosecutor Linda Donikoski pressed McMichael on the defense contention that they planned a citizen's arrest. Not once during your direct examination did you state that your intention was to effectuate an arrest of Mr. Arbery until your attorney asked you that leading question. Isn't that right? 
Yes. A large group of black pastors plans a rally outside the courthouse today. The rally will come after the defense attorney for William Roddy Bryan has said he didn't want any more black pastors sitting in the Georgia courtroom with Arbery's family. The jury in Kyle Rittenhouse's murder trial is said to begin a third day of deliberations. The jury's request to rewatch video in the case sparked another bid from Rittenhouse's attorneys for a mistrial. The attorneys say the defense received an inferior copy of a key video from prosecutors. One of the defense attorneys told the judge the defense would have approached things differently if it had received the higher quality video earlier. He said the request would be made without prejudice, meaning prosecutors could try Rittenhouse again if the request were granted. Prosecutors countered the jury saw the highest quality version of the video during the trial. The judge didn't immediately rule. Two men who for decades steadfastly maintained their innocence in the 1965 assassination of civil rights icon Malcolm X will be exonerated. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr.'s office is expected to join attorneys for the two men in asking a judge to toss out the convictions. Malcolm X was killed in February of 1965 in Harlem. Muhammad Aziz, who's now 83, and the late Khalil Islam were convicted of murder in 1966 along with the third man. All were sentenced to life in prison. The third man said he was one of three gunmen who shot Malcolm X, but he testified neither Aziz nor Islam were involved. Aziz was released from prison in 1985. Islam two years later. Islam died in 2009. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and those were our news headlines. And now we go to a webinar that was uh, held in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, during the COP26 conference, the United Nations Conference on the Environment, on the interrelationship between caregiving and environmental protection. Uh, let us hear from our international speakers now. We started with the Wages for Housework campaign almost 50 years ago. It'll be 50 years next year. And we uh, insisted that women having birthed all the people of the world and having cared for them, for all of us, um, that we were also the poorer sex in spite of that and maybe because of it. And we felt that we as women had to have an income for the work that we are doing, a wage, because it was hard and very crucial work making the whole community. We fought on, in many countries, built an international network because of course you can't be anti-racist unless you're international and you are connecting with and understanding the, all the people of the world. And we try to, uh, to know and work with as many as we possibly could, beginning with women, but women and men and children, of course. Uh, and in a couple of years ago, someone sent us the draft of the Green New Deal for Europe, the draft of a whole proposal. And we looked at it and we saw immediately that they were saying it's a new deal for Europe, but we begin with our acknowledgement of our debt to the former colonial uh, territories of Europe and how much Europe has exploited and plundered so much of the world 
And we said, well, they're believable people. Let's see what they had to say. And they had to say that there should be a care income. And we said a care income for people and for planet. Now they didn't quite say that and they didn't even mention women, but we did. We said, we'd like to expand on this. And they said, fine, and we did. And for the first time, we had our international network not only addressing the unwaged work of women in reproducing the whole human race, but also the work of feeding those uh, children that we make, feeding the whole world with so much of the uh, farm work that we do, the agricultural work that we do, we grow the food, cook it, serve it, and give to not only our children, but the whole community is often resting on the agricultural work of women. And also, you know, the, the work of defending and protecting the natural world. And this was our chance as an international network to address both parts of the work of women internationally, which is what we've been doing. And in that time, we have discovered all the, the struggles that women have been involved in to even be able to grow the food on the land, which they may not own, but they definitely work and try to protect. And we have found that there's a great movement developing, especially in Andhra Pradesh in India, but in many parts of the world to rejuvenate the soil. And we found that that rejuvenation of the soil is key to the crisis of the climate and that the crisis of the climate can be addressed and we as a human race can save ourselves. Now, this is a wonderful opportunity for us, this conference, not that they're going to tell us anything that we need to know except their own suicidal greed and, um, and lying to us and trying to cheat us back into being quiet and accepting the gloomy and doom which they expect us to suffer as a result of the climate crashing. Well, I don't know how they think they're going to save themselves. And not only that, I don't care. We don't want that. We refuse that. And we use this opportunity of their gathering to gather ourselves as an international movement for the climate and for human beings. We are for people and we are for the planet and we are for the carers. I want to say one final word before I mention the speakers. And that is that if you have been caring as most women have, and many, many men and many children too, one of the things you know is that you have to be observant. You have to observe the people you're trying to help and care for and protect and see how they feel about things and what they want. And that's what we all need right now. We must care for this planet ourselves and each other.
so that we can look forward to a future. And a, a future is bright if we are together and if we don't have these monsters who are in charge of the world, you know, breathing down our necks. We will hear from uh, women and men in a number of countries who will talk about the work that they are doing and the struggle that they are engaged in. And we need that information wherever we are. We want to know those people. We want them to know us because we want to work together for a future. Have a good uh, session here today. Thank you. Thank you, Selma, very powerful words. Um, but we, I meant to say at the beginning that we wanted to thank the Land Workers Alliance for making this space available at short notice and for being so helpful and welcoming to us. Thank you. What we'll do is we'll, if it's all right with everyone, we'll go straight to Thailand. And we have Pranam Samwang, who's from Protection International. She's been part of the Global Women's Strike since we met in 2015. She's one of the core founders of the Community Women Human Rights Defenders Collective in Thailand. She's a grass, it's a grassroots collective which represents women from 19 sectors of the community struggles across Thailand. Um, over to you. Thank you, Sarah and Christy. Um, hello, everyone. I hope we can see the video very soon so that you can see a lot of lots of voice of the women from the grassroots uh, community in Thailand. Um, good afternoon, everyone, and evening, and good morning, and bono asked for all of us here. Um, we had been following these COP26, and our friends called Global Witness um, and the other have analyzed a provisional COP26 delegate list, and we found that uh, 503 people on the list are linked directly or indirect to the fossil fuel industry. Their number is larger than the combined total number of delegation from civil society from Burma, but also larger than the people from Haiti, the Philippines, the Mozambique, the Bahamas, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, being the regions and the country which is most affected by the climate change. We also heard a lot of the restriction of participation of the people in this COP26 and what on earth they are not mentioned about human rights in the negotiations. For these many other reasons as well, for us, this COP, the official COP26 is very distressful, lack of responsibility and empathy for the people. Um, for Thailand, it's very irrelevant who or how many world leaders, either Biden, Boris, Justin or Angela Merkel, who acknowledge or shake hands with General Brayut. Uh, the guy named Brayut is actually the Thai military prime minister. And during COP26, he went and shaking hands with so many of the world famous leaders. But this is not legitimize him as a democratic leader of the people of Thailand. Brayut and his constitutional cabinet and politically appointed senator still must go. The people at Thailand, I think, have been saying for many years, these military coups and military government must get out. 
because the people in Thailand must ask ourselves whether our political and economic system actively destroyed planet Earth and failed to meet the most women and the people basic need. What is actually the point in accepting such illegitimate representation of the people? When a lot of things going on in this um, COP26 at the UN system, today Thailand has been revealed. It's called Universal Periodic Review, UPR today, by the UN member state. And we also heard so many lines coming from the representation of the Thai government. We hope the international community will not continue to stay silent on Thailand situation on human rights, democracy, and justice. As every one of us know that capitalism is producing inequality, huge gaps in equality, and these produced ecological crisis. As the fundamentals of the capital growth is that capital must extract from nature, from environment, and from our labor more than it gives in return. In case of Thailand, because of the impact of environmental livelihood and the health, Thailand ordered Australian company called Kingest to close its gold mines in 2016 due to environmental concerns because the Thai government have the research committee and they found in 2015 more than 300 people testing positive for arsenic and manganese at the gold mine. But after Thai government decided to close that gold mine, King Gates company then kicked off the legal proceeding against the Thai government in 2017. They said they would like to recover substantial losses suffered from the premature closing of the gold mine. We call this arbitrary proceeding where they said it's were in reliance of the Thailand-Australia Free Trade Agreement, and they use the so-called unjust ISDS procedure. King Gates, as the multinational company said, the closure order violating of the trade agreement. Over the years, Thai government spending hundreds of the millions of baht, lots of money from our tax money in the legal battle with this multinational company. The outcome of the legal battle is uncertain, but Thailand despised the previous acknowledge of environmental concerns and the health issues. We may allow, not we, but the Thai government, this Oritorian government may allow the company to operate the mining again, the gold mining will be hugely opening in Thailand. If you see from the video and what we are trying to say in Thailand that, they pay cooperation to make us sick. Why not pay us to care for the family, the land and the planet instead? This is a whole reason why women and the Gladwell's community in Thailand are fighting against what we call feudal dictatorial capitalist system. Um, there are many strong people movement in Thailand. Some of them are the land rights defender you may heard the name of the Southern Basin Federation of Thailand, SPFT, who spoke in their workshop earlier in this People Summit in COP. 
but also we would like to talk about the network of the people who own mineral resources in Thailand, who are actually, um, it's a network of more than 30 C30 communities around Thailand who are actually fighting every single, every day to stop Thailand from becoming the most ecological destructive national state on the planet. So they are indeed caring for the land and the planet and for the people. Um, the, what we would like to also highlight is a struggle of the community-based women and human rights defender in Thailand called Dong Mafai. Dong Mafai is the name of the area. It's in the northeast of Thailand, who for the past 27 years has fought against a quarry and the stone mills until they successfully managed to close down, close the mining site down last year. Yes, this is a big, big victory and a big winning. And at the moment, the community are working to replant the forest that were, that were cut down to make way for the quarry with the aim of the returning the area into the eco-cultural and a key cultural tourism destination that managed and owned by the communities. That one example. The other example is many mothers, carers, and the grassroots community know that we must organize the economy around human needs and collective well-being. The story of the Dong Mafai as example of struggle, sample of the victory, and important of the healing of our soils forest and our life. Many mothers, carers at the grassroots community strongly believe that public health care and the housing, access to nutritious food should be human rights, must be human rights. They collectively regenerating soils and biodiversity to help ensure everyone has access to good nutrition and enjoy delicious food together all at the time. At the global level, the final version of the historical UN resolution, recognizing that everyone has the right to clean, healthy, and sustainable environment is now available. But these will only become real when the country changed their constitutions, laws, policies, and priorities to give us the care income. Now, a lot of people keep talking about wealthy country who are rich because of the climate injustice that have been done, including super rich corporation now have responsibility to contribute to the climate finance. But we also have to emphasize that their contribution have to be responsibility for women and the carers and the communities who facing affected of this climate change. Lost, and damages must be placed at the center of every negotiation. We all may shout together, give us the needed money, the care income now, because we need it since yesterday or many years before. So it's now, we don't have to wait until 2030. Um, and as we know, the fairer wages for work like care work is very important for our life and livelihood that they should be filled and we full and feel with joy with the time that we can devote it to being mothers, farmers, writer, artist, sex worker, dancer, or whoever we would like to be. It's a lot of potential can be filled if we get the care income. We have come a long way and we know we still have a long way to go, 
Um, but we must no more be the underestimated, the overlooked, and the outcast. Mass mobilization across the world are showing the power of the people movement coming together, demanding change with creating new prospects. This makes us very optimistic. The movement today see women, see the poor, queers, transgenders, young people, indigenous, who are not stuck on oppression anymore. They are not going to be bullshit or demobilized. We have no problem stand up, standing up against the power, and we will continue to do so. We know that as well. We also flocking deeper solidarities among the women, the poor, and the young people, rurals, urban, indigenous, diversity community within our community and across the, the borders. Despite challenges in the lockdown, we have taken action and we continue to resist. To the women in Burma, in Haiti, to rural women workers, farmers in India, to domestic workers in Peru, and the mothers in every country, in Ireland, in UK, to every immigrants, migrant women, refugee women everywhere, women in the prison, in detention places, our struggle goes on. We know the cause endured, but the hope still lives and our dreams shall never die. We trust in the people, we believe in the women and our love for solidarity. We're sending a lot of lots of warm hearts to every woman around the world who are here, but also not be here, but we are with them in spirit and solidarity. Thank you very much. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a quick station break. When we return, we will continue our special on caregiving and environmental protection. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth, and you can check us out on our website at sotrueradio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can look for us and like us there. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at sotrueradio. We're also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. You can go to the search bar and type in Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott to find us. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Atlanta, Georgia, and internationally to our SoundCloud listeners in the UK. Now we return to our special on caregiving and environmental protection. It was uh, an event organized during the recent UN conference on the environment held in Glasgow, Scotland. It was hosted by the Global Women's Strike and Women of Color in the Global Women's Strike. 
Um, thank you very much for having me here. It's an honor to be part of this panel and to be in this workshop. Actually, I was born displaced. I was born away from my homeland and I grew up in the jungle until the Burma army attacked um, my family and I, and we became refugees. I became a refugee at the age of 11 and was confined in the refugee camp and we couldn't go to the forest anymore. And I joined uh, the Korean Women's Organization from refugee camp when I was 18. And I have been working with Korean Women's Organization for now 22 years. I'm a mother and part of that extended family. Just like other indigenous people uh, around the world, we Korean people, we know that our life uh, so much depends on the nature and we like to live harmony with nature. And the Korean people, we have a say, it's frog, take care of the rock. It's fish, take care of the pound. This means that we can depend on the forest and nature for food, but we also need to take care of them in return. Our elders have also passed another saying down to us that mother told us to sip yam species and father told us to sip taro species. If we preserve up to 30 different species, when famine comes, we will not die. So that means nature and forest give us everything that we need from the food to medicine and also to the household items. So traditionally in our current community, both men and women, we work on the farm, but women are the one who do the work of caring for the family members, children, elderly in home. Also, we are the one who are also looking for food in the forests, like the vegetables. And also in our community currently, uh, one of the women group maintains 60 rice bank that benefits more than 5,000 people. And so taking care of life and environment is part of our essential tax for the women. So I remember when I was a little girl, I loved following my family to the forest to collect wild, wild vegetables, fruits and animal and firewood. I also liked uh, watching my mother and aunties cooking. So I would woke up early in the morning as early as 5 a.m and watched my auntie cook. And I also would give a hand, so they would also teach me how to cut vegetables and cook curry. So mm -hmm. when I got older, I asked my mom to teach me how to weave, but she was too busy. So I couldn't wait for my mom. And so I went to my friend's house and started learn learning from her. When I brought my weaving home, it needed fixing. So my mom had to help me after all. I also learned from my mother the way to dye threads naturally using the different trees. And also one of my sister was so good at weaving current clothes, making current handicrafts from bamboo, and even know how to clean the rice husk from the paddy and pounding the rice to make the rice flour. So this is a way of our current mothers, women teaching the young, younger generations and passing on their knowledge. Um, so without the forest and nature, our lives are very extremely harsh. In our current culture, also the land is owned and cared um, for by individuals as well as the whole community and many villages. So when the land is uh, owned and cared for the whole community, we call this go in Karen, but in English it's called customary land. So customary land is more than geographical areas or physical territories. For us, the lands, forests, and all the natural world is at the heart of our current living way of living. So the customary land is strongly linked to the spiritual, culture, and economic, uh, ecological domains. This may be secrets, areas, 
various grounds, residential area, community forests, watershed management, fish conservation zones, paddy farm, rotation farms, herbal medi medical medicine forest, and also infrastructure for school, roads, and clinics. And customary land is also the basics uh, of the Selwi Peace Park initiative. The half million hectare of the Selwi Peace Park covers 163 customary lands. And also it's a home to more than 150 different kinds of edible forest produce and also a vital source of the traditional herbal medicine. And also mm -hmm. 34 community forests covering more than 36,000 acres of land, four reserve forests and three wildlife sanctuaries. So one of the Selwi Peace Park goal is to maintain customary law and women are the traditional knowledge and wisdom keepers and carriers of the tradition. So we pass down these skills from generation to generation. Thus our involvement in protecting the natural world is also key to sustaining our traditions. Right now, our homes, lands, rivers also have been targeted for many man-made disasters. There is violence extraction of minerals, large monoplantation, mega dams, roads construction, logging, and gas pipelines. So the so-called development projects have stolen people's lands, polluted the soil and the water, and animals and rare species of life have been poached and also poisoned. Environmental destruction directly linked to the failure of our crops, which increasingly increase the poverty and also causes the starvation. So we now live with the ever-present threat to the environment and natural world, which by extension is a threat to the current life and our livelihood. We are already noticing the effect of the climate change in our area. There is an increase in incense and also red that destroying our rice and our crops. There is also more flooding and landslides. And at the heart of the, uh, the threats to life and nature, it's a long-standing militarization in Burma. There has been more than 70 years of armed oppression by the Burmese army in the current land. And even before the latest military coup, there was a policy of centralized resource control and low, no legal recognition of traditional and customary land rights. There has been a hostile environment racism and the lack of respect for the indigenous wisdom and practices. And so hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced due to the military offensive over the decades. And this militarization and armed conflict increased significantly since the military coup of February 1st this year. So under the military dictatorship, people are defending the environment, women rights defenders, villagers, children, men, the elderly, and active, activists, we are all at risk. No one is safe. And our Selwi Peace Park has been targeted of the airstrikes. So the world must protect the people, protect the natural world. So what we need is we need to end the military dictatorship and demilitarize in our ethnic areas. So we need to continue to pressure to end the military coup in Burma. And also we need the sanction, economic sanctions, uh, also arm. Uh, to the military businesses, freeze their assets so that they cannot buy weapons and kill us. And also we need to stop military and multinational companies that are doing monocrops, uh, mono mining, logging, dams, and other destruction in our indigenous people area. 
and you can also donate directly to the local groups. You can follow the link. Um, I think it's already in the chat group to donate to our organization or the local environmental group like the Korean Environmental Social Action Network and also promote the recognition of us, the indigenous people, our right to lead our lives and land and care for the nature and also support the ethnic resistance organization, which we consider our ethnic government departments that are working on environment issues. Like in our current situation, uh, the current national union, they will have a forestry department, agriculture department, environment committee. They organize, they have the knowledge and the capacity. So by supporting them, it's also me, you're protecting um, the, the nature in our areas. And finally, we need to recognize and work with the national unity government in Burma and the relevant um, ministries. Thank you very much for your attention. I will be and I will be very happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and I'm delighted to be um, here in part of this panel. Uh, a great honor and a great honor to uh, listen to the previous two speakers. It's very inspiring. Um, uh, talks. Um, well, I am I, I'm not directly talking about care income, but more talking more about um, for acknowledging the work the farmers are doing, especially women farmers and women farmers uh, work, um, as has been said um, uh, by previous speakers also has been completely written out of policy. There is no recognition of uh, women's work um, in our policies in our official discourse and i'd like to talk to you um, about a little bit about the longest farmers protest in india uh, in indian history um, which is uh, completing one year of protests in in at the borders of delhi uh, to explain actually where are the challenges to um, kind of farming we are talking about, to natural agriculture, to reforestation, biodiversity, where is it coming from? So um, the Indian farmers are protesting at the moment for the last one year uh, against the three new farm laws uh, which were passed by the central government in uh, last year in September 2020. The three laws uh, taken together actually what they mean is um, to ease restrictions for corporate players to function in the country's agrarian markets. Um, they mark a retreat of government responsibility from public procurement uh, of food grains and they, these laws provide a deregulated environment in which big agribusinesses will be able to push farmers to enter into contracts for the supply of agricultural produce on terms uh, that may be unclear and completely unfavorable to farmers. Uh, and the farmers um, fear that these laws are actually uh, were enacted to enable corporate big corporate takeover of agriculture, which will make smallholder farming uh, unsustainable, forcing small farmers to leave their villages and reduce them to seeking casual labor or to oil in factories on starvation wages in unwelcoming Indian cities. 
So India, as we know, is overwhelmingly agrarian. Over half of the total workforce is engaged in agriculture, and it's a way of life for these large communities, half of India's working population. And farmers so all over the country protested the three laws. They asked the government to take back the laws. And when the government did not uh, listen to them, um, led by their unions, um, the convoy of tractors, trolleys and tractors, thousands of them extending for several miles made their way into the capital city of Delhi on November 26, 2020. And women and men farmers came waving their union flags, equipped with food, stoves, utensils, blankets, and other essentials to last them for months. And they said, we are here to stay. We will leave only when the government repeals these draconian laws. So um, they were stopped by barricading in Delhi and where they were stopped, they actually uh, decided to sit in where they were stopped. So they built uh, tiny mini townships at three different places in the capital city of Delhi. They built little homes uh, in the tractor trolleys and within days they had opened libraries, reading rooms, health clinics, and a large number of community kitchens where they all men and uh, women cooked and ate together. <clears throat> the unions also erected makeshift platforms across the sites, which uh, doubled up as protest stage, uh, stretching over for almost 40 kilometers on one side of the border. And during the day and evening, these uh, podia featured not only speeches by union leaders, but also cultural performances and um, uh, about about what was ailing how were rural communities uh, being uh, what were the pressure points of the agrarian crisis indebtedness uh, unemployment degradation of environment declining health the condition of public schools and hospitals women's lack of resources and power of corporates over their lives so gradually these um, platforms and over the year um, have turned into a school, a university for uh, people resisting, providing the intellectual tools uh, for them to understand their diverse operations. So um, <clears throat> women in large number joined this protest and by women coming into this protest, it actually changed um, uh, the nature of claims um, of uh, protesting farmers um, on government. I mean, the, uh, the, the farm agitation which began uh, to protest the three laws has actually over the year now has changed into something quite different. Now women farmers have started asking the question why they are forced to grow crops with dependence on pesticides, on chemicals, fertilizers, hybrid seeds, which have resulted in complete destruction of soil health, human health, 
and the environment and the high yielding varieties also led to complete elimination of traditional crops which were responsible for nutritional security of the rural communities and today despite growing um, record quantities of uh, um, uh, food 14 percent of india suffers from acute malnutrition and india houses 24 percent of world's malnutritioned people 30 percent of stunted children globally under the age of five um, are um, in india and india rank india's rank in worldwide hunger index is slipping by the year so very recently when i was at one of the protest site i heard a woman speak uh, woman farmer speak at the protest stage and i quote and then i will end she said oh rulers sitting at delhi borders we heard that a worldwide hunger index is compiled and our country ranks 101 out of 126 countries we are aghast because we produce enough food to feed each and every one in the country this was our responsibility she said and we've done our job dutifully to deliver this food to citizen was your responsibility, but you, you did not do it responsibly. We are seeing widespread malnutrition and hunger, and the solution to hunger and malnutrition lies in distributing the food, which we farmers grow to feed every hungry person. Organizing public, public distribution is no rocket science. It only needs determination, commitment, and a sense of responsibility towards your own people. Sadly, rulers, you don't have any of any of this, and you want us to believe that the new laws, which give a free hand to corporates, will allow the corporates to take care of the problem of hunger and malnutrition through the free play of markets? Who are you trying to fool? the woman farmer asked and then the farmers put three issues on the table um, uh, and, um, and and they said um, um, who, they are anyway going bust and that's a larger story because of the high input cost and low prices of their um, crops the first issue they said more government support and not less for shifting to natural farming, which also means the corporate control of farming needs to be regulated, which is responsible for ruining soil and water, deforestation, and killing the biodiversity. The second, farmers alone should not be expected or entrusted with additional responsibility of shifting to modes of uh, farming from high yielding varieties to natural with the, without ensuring that their incomes are maintained and their basic necessities of health, education, nutrition, and, and sanitation are ensured. And finally, while corporate profits are not touched, 
the farmer movement has challenged the official policy of facilitating market subjugation of farming communities and the system of holding them responsible for destruction of environment when farming practices were clearly developed at the behest of giant agriculture business corporations, international financial institutions, and agriculture universities established through funding by agribusiness giants. So the farmers are actually questioning, they are questioning the kind of um, uh, commitments our leaders are making at the climate summits uh, and blaming the farmer, farmers and blaming the people um, for creating destruction in environment and destruction in climate and be responsible for uh, the crisis, whereas the people, in fact, working people are subjugated by the large businesses. So uh, I just would like to end by saying um, that uh, this farmer's agitation is completing one year. On 26th, um, we are going to celebrate, we mark this day as um, a tribute to farmers, their historic and heroic struggle in which 700 farmers, men and women have died of neglect, of ill health, of um, complete apathy. Um, and we'll mark that day and we'll send you also information, would like you to be part of um, the day when we mark 365 years of this historic protest. Thank you. Hi, good morning everyone. What an inspiring, inspiring uh, panel, inspiring um, movements all over the world for justice, justice for people, justice for the environment, for us in our movements to save ourselves and the planet. Um, wanted to say that uh, in Haiti too, we are in solidarity with everyone all over the world who are in the struggle for human life, for human rights and dignity, the dignity of all people, the right to live a good life as human beings and that our rights be respected. As I was watching and listening to the various speakers who were so eloquently laying out um, what um, they are doing, what various peoples are doing to stand up and to change this awful system of exploitation. I was reminded of Haiti's history and um, before we were, before uh, with the arrival of Christopher Columbus in 1492, it was a brutal destruction of stable societies of the Tainos and the, the Arawaks and the Caribbean peoples of the Caribbean. And this brutal destruction of their stable societies resulted in it was all done for mining mining purposes because the goal at the time was to get the gold forcing people into slavery in order to extract gold so it was massive mining operations 
forcing populations to work in gold mines, to dig gold, to benefit the greedy people from Europe. And uh, fast forwarding to the to 17 to the 1700s, the French took control of the land of which is present day Haiti and forced big plantation agriculture. And they kidnapped our foremothers and forefathers from Africa so that they could work the land for free for them from seeing the morning until can't see at night, super exploited so that they could maximize profits for them. So when they talk about the new world order today, I don't see any difference between the old world order, which was and today's so-called new world order. It's a different label on the same old um, poison, poisonous system. So in Haiti, our after independence in 1804, there is a clash presently that still hasn't been resolved in Haitian society. And it was whether we have to abide by the European dictated model of big plantation, big mining, or should we go as our foremothers and our fathers intended and the goals of the, of the Haitian revolution after they uprooted the system was to go more to a harmonious living, having harmonious societies where people would invest in working the land for themselves, for their benefit, and so that we could have a harmonious living among ourselves and not be exploited. So this is the current struggle that's happening today on the ground in Haiti. The vision of having a socialist system where people are living in community with each other, respecting the environment, as opposed to the system of big plantation or big mining, which is such a destroyer of human life, of human dignity, and of human rights. We're out of time. I'd like to thank all of the speakers featured in today's show. And I'd like to thank the Global Women's Strike team for giving us permission to use this audio. I'd also like to thank the Sojourner Truth team, Romero Funes, our assistant producer, and also today's audio engineer. Thank you, Romero. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org and remember to visit our website sotrueradio.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at sotrueradio. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. This is your host Margaret Prescott and you all please remember to stay safe.